Welcome to Shift, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and Achievable has an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to help you reach your target score. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off when you buy it. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Nat Crawford from Improve Your English with us today. And if Nat, if you could give a little bit about your background, that would be great. Yeah, so I've been helping students with college admissions in Silicon Valley for the last 10 years or so. And Mm -hmm. as you might imagine, for kids in Silicon Valley, a lot of those students are STEM students. And so I have a particular bit of expertise in helping STEM students get into the best possible colleges for them. Yeah, fantastic. And STEM, just for uh, just in case you don't know, means science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, but generally, it's you know, the I don't know if it's fair to say the nerdier. Uh, students it's absolutely fair are, it's absolutely there are nerds fair. in every field yeah, right they're, 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 it's, but yeah. it's true that there are nerds in every field but the classic nerd uh is is quite interested in stem except that yeah a lot the pop of the culture nerd yeah right a, a lot of the students that i work with though won't look like the classic uh pop culture nerd which is uh, another interesting aspect of the college admissions game yeah, so let's talk about that because the, the the topic of today's episode is why STEM students won't get into Ivy League schools even with a 4.0 GPA. And I mean, I think the first part of it is even if you are going to a very good school in Silicon Valley, which I would say would put you in the top, call it 10% in the country, mm-hmm. um, 4.0 is kind of commoditized now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And I think that's something that I've heard repeatedly from other guests is that you know, the joke is that the, the average GPA now is a 4.0 because there's great inflation all over the place. So beyond just the fact that there's great inflation, you know, why are STEM students with stellar grades failing to get into Ivy League schools? And then what are the things that, uh, you know, are essentially showing what are the successful students that are getting into Ivy League schools doing that sets them apart? Yeah, uh, those are both good questions. I think the the first, you know, like a big part of the work I do with college admissions is getting students to be clear about what their goals are, what their real goals are for their life. And one of the things that I've noticed about STEM students, so high-powered STEM students, by, by which I mean students who are doing uh, like publishing research papers, for instance, or students who are completing mathematical proofs as well. Uh, what, right. One of the things I've, uh, I've noticed about them is that they, when they apply to so-called Ivy League schools, and, and we have to remember that the Ivy League schools are not just all in the top 10, right? So Cornell, for instance, is an Ivy League school that's usually ranked between 15 and 20 in U.S. News and World Report. So, mm-hmm. when we, so when we talk about Ivy League, uh, what I mean is uh, the, the famous uh, HYPSM uh, crowd that the um, students that I work with are really obsessed with. So HYPSM, so Harvard, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, MIT. And Yale for the Y part. Oh yeah, I said deal. So. Uh, uh, um. so yeah, so so yeah, so that's that's the HYPSM group, right? And so the the, the question is, well, what's you know, what's going on when a STEM student applies to those schools? 
gets into MIT, but then doesn't get into the other uh, the other schools, right? What is mm-hmm. what does that mean, and why does that happen? And the I would say the the biggest reason it happens is because the kid is clearly a little more one dimensional in the STEM area than the students who apply to those schools and get in. Now there are some exceptions to this general rule, but that is that is generally it. So for for let me just give an example here. So one of the students I worked with early on on an application for MIT, which was ultimately successful, um, mm-hmm. he uh, so he he got into MIT, but then when he applied when he wrote his applications for Harvard, Princeton, and Stanford, he he focused a lot on his work in math, right? So his, his mm-hmm. common app essay was about this multi-year road towards some mathematical proof. And he, he talked about the thrill of working out bits and pieces of it in the car on the way back from Disneyland and stuff like that. So um, very impressive achievement, very exciting intellectual journey, but an admissions officer at a liberal arts college, right? So Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, these are liberal arts, sorry, or a liberal arts university. So Harvard, mm-hmm. Princeton, Stanford, these are liberal arts universities. Um, MIT is a, a, it's a Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So it's a technology school. Um, mm-hmm. So at a, at a liberal arts university, the, the admissions officers are going to look at this and think, you know, even if we admitted him, this kid, you know, like we're going to expect him to take classes on Shakespeare and history and, you know, like various other humanities courses. And all he wants to do is write mathematical proofs. I just don't see him being really happy here, even if we do admit him. And also, if we admit him and MIT admits him, he's going to have to go to MIT, right? MIT is clearly the best. He's, he's almost certain to choose MIT over us. Uh, so why should we potentially waste an admission spot on this kid who's quite possibly going to go somewhere else when we could give it to a kid who's more likely to accept? So, mm-hmm. so, the, so, the, biggest, so the biggest reason is that the, the students are applying, these STEM students are applying to top liberal arts universities because they are quote unquote top schools and it's uh, bragging rights for uh, for them and their families if they're admitted, but they're not really thinking clearly about what they actually want to do when they're in college and what they're thinking about for a career after college. Right. So then would you say that the first key thing to take away from this is if you're an awesome STEM student, you know, most of the Ivy League might not actually be that great of a culture fit for you. Well, it depends. I, I mean, it's sort of, it's because... Or more, you, yeah, then what are the distinctions? What are the yeah, distinctions? So let me, give, yeah, yeah. let me give a few distinctions here, right? So because you can be an awesome STEM student who is a good fit um, for, an Ivy, for an Ivy League school. So, right. uh, so I mean, there are many probably. <laughs> and, right. And, and, and so for, for instance, um, I had a student um, once who, uh, he, he was a real superstar student. He had a, I think a gold or I think he had a gold medal in the International Physics Olympiad. He wow. had, um, and he was also a first rate cellist. He had won a national competition. He, he dismissed the competition as not having 
much in the way of competition um, from the other cellists. But, you know, he, regardless, you know, he was still a very uh, talented cellist. Um, he had this really impressive extracurricular activity that he had done as well regarding volunteer work in Africa. And I looked at his, uh, I looked at his application, you know, like background, and I said, yeah, I mean, you just need to not screw up your essays. You're going to be admitted to uh, every place that you want to go to. And it's true. He was. He was admitted to Harvard. He was admitted to Stanford. And he was admitted to MIT. And he ultimately chose Harvard. So the difference here is that you have a kid with a superstar uh, so first of all, the, the physics achievement is genuine superstar achievement. It's not, oh, mm-hmm. I got an A on, in my physics, in my AP physics class in high school. This is the International Physics Olympiad we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, colleges like, you know, Harvard, um, Stanford, Yale, Princeton, they will consider the students who have genuine superstar achievements in STEM. But it's also backed up by um, strong achievement in music, right? These schools also have orchestras, um, they have music societies on campus, and they want kids who can contribute to that. Um, and this kid uh, was capable of contributing to that. And then when you top that all off with an extracurricular activity that has nothing to do with STEM and everything to do with um, helping global society, then that's the sort of thing that looks very impressive. Um, so what it shows is that the student is not narrowly focused on achievement in STEM, however spectacular that achievement might be. Yeah, so it's it's having some... You don't have to, like, also play a varsity sport and also, like, I don't know, run a volunteer org or something like that. But it's definitely good to have more than one facet to your application that's extraordinary or stand out. Yeah, well, it's in fact, it's two. You need two. You need two very strong. Well, I I would say two is the problem with saying at least two is you give kids the wrong impression that they should be stacking up. Uh, their extracurricular activities um, a, in a stack as high as they can make it, when in fact right. it's better to go into depth on two um, in order okay. to write. So, so in in his case, you know, I guess he had, uh, I guess he had what? Uh, so well, three. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess he had three, um, but that was an extraordinary case. Yeah, in in general, if you have two that are that show your leadership in some way, then you're in pretty good shape for an application to those schools. Got it. Okay. So let's say you've, you know, let's to trim down your example, let's say you're, you're a great, you're, you're, you know, an A student or like even like a 4.3 or whatever GPA, like whatever's kind of like the max nowadays. Cause I don't even know. It depends on the system. Right. Let's say you're a top student. You didn't win the physics Olympiad gold medal because that's super rare, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you have another thing that maybe it's like you're really good at you're like on the varsity soccer team, or you're like, you know, a, like really good at violin, cello, etc., or really good at the drums, right? Just trying to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Or you and, and like you've kind of got your two things. You're not a, you're not this like superstar, but you've got these two things, mm-hmm. and you're trying to apply to these top schools. Like, what what advice would you give to these students that they they've done everything right up until this point, other than be you know the next coming of Iron Man? 
Mm-hmm. And now, now they still want to get into, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, MIT. Um, and particularly, I would say even more, it's more likely that they're coming from outside Silicon Valley, right? Because I think Silicon Valley in particular is where there's like the foot race of all the things related to college admissions. And so you get caught up in that. And I feel like if you're from, you know, Columbus, Ohio, or, or like other like very nice places with great schools, right? Like sort of, uh, you just might not be in the same extreme level of foot race. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious what advice you have to those STEM students on how to get admitted to these schools. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, one of the, one of the issues here is that, a STEM student in Columbus, Ohio, actually could potentially get admitted to uh, a top college by virtue of coming from Columbus, Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, it, so when I talk about strong STEM students um, not getting into school and, and top college, I mean, here we're talking about the top of the top, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, right? So, the, um, so I, I see a lot of very, very strong STEM students, but because they're in Silicon Valley, they don't stand out from the crowd, whereas... Um, Right. Conversely, if you're in a place like Columbus, Ohio, or Boise, Idaho, um, and you've uh, and you are a very strong STEM student, then you know like there you're already standing out from the crowd. Well, it's Got it. It, it's the okay. u- but it's the usual stuff with top colleges. They're looking for students who contribute in some way to their community, and mm-hmm. that there there are there are many different ways that students can contribute. You know, some some students contribute by running volunteer organizations. Other students contribute by starting organizations to support various aspects of their community. Uh, You can support your community in the classroom by being helpful in the class. Uh, So for instance, maybe maybe if you're a superstar STEM student, you could teach a unit of your physics class. Uh, This was um, Mm -hmm. when I was at the University of Chicago, my roommate, who was a genuine superstar STEM student, um, had in, his physics teacher had in fact allowed him to teach a section of his AP physics class. So that's something that you could consider doing as well. So mm-hmm. look look for opportunities to do things that are going to set you apart from the crowd in a positive way by showing your genuine interest in helping fellow human beings. That would be that would be one important thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. but there, uh, but there are, there, there's more, there's more as well. Yeah. Well here, let's, let's get into it. What other ones are there, you think? Well, I think the, the other thing is to have, there, there's a difference between someone, a STEM student who is what the admissions committees call a grind, right? So a mm-hmm. grind is someone who sits in his room night after night, solving math problems, mastering you know, like mastering physics equations uh, and just basically working really hard. There's there's a difference between that sort of student and a student who's got a genuine intellectual interest in the things that he's studying. So mm-hmm. the, the other thing that you should really do is you should have a genuine intellectual interest that goes beyond simply getting top grades on tests. 
And right. you can develop this. I'm, I'm sure you can think of a thousand ways. You and I could you know, think of a thousand ways that students could show genuine intellectual interest, ranging from reading books to um, running YouTube channels uh, to um, you know, like starting a magazine or uh, yeah, and so forth. Right. Right. Okay. So it, it really is. It feels like just becoming multi-dimensional and not being stuck as just like a stem grinder. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And the, and the problem here, the, the reason, you know, like, again, to bring it back to something I said earlier on, um, the reason that this is perceived as unfair by families who are applying to colleges is that, you know, so it's unfair that my child got into MIT, but um, was a top STEM student, was not admitted to Harvard, um, and then these other, you know, like people who write poetry get admitted to Harvard or something like that, right? right. Um, and the, the reason, the problem is, is the expectation and the thinking that there's a ranking of colleges and that if you're a number one student, you get into a number one college. Uh, and the number one college is the num- number one as listed by U.S. News and World Report, whether it's Princeton or Harvard or Yale or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when in reality, um, different students are better fits for some colleges than others. So um, I, for instance, never let, when I'm working with students on college counseling, I never let them spam applications to uh, the top five schools in the country, right? Like, no, you don't get to apply to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Princeton, um, and MIT, you have to choose the ones that are a best fit for what you're looking for. And mm-hmm. that that is ultimately a, a very important element of the application because it means that you are focusing your energy on the school that it's on the school and showing that it's it's the best match for you rather than submitting a generic application to um, the top five schools in the country. Right. Well, and I, I, I thought it was really interesting what you said um, earlier in the episode, too, which is that like admissions officers at this at these most prestigious schools and, you know, juries out on whether this is kind of cool or fair or not. But they'll look at an applicant and be like, I don't think this guy is a Harvard guy. I think he's a MIT guy. Mm-hmm. And so they'll deny them, even though they are like you know qualified quote unquote in all the quali- in the quantitative ways mm-hmm. um so there is that qualitative matching going on and when you're a Harvard Yale Stanford you get to pick whoever you want right like every single person or you could fill your classes two or three times over with people that meet your quantitative guidelines mm-hmm. right so then it's about well what kind of people do you want there right at the end of the day it's 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 back to the back to the intangibles and i totally agree with you a generic essay is going to look and sound you know at best generic or at worst like you know there's only you know it's not going to be tailored for whatever the school is that you're applying to yeah and the um, like on on that topic as well of well this guy doesn't sound like a Harvard guy or a Stanford guy or whatever um, it's important to remember that some schools are very serious about protecting what's called their yield so the the yield is the percentage of admitted students who end up matriculating at the college who end up selecting that college to attend 
And at Harvard, I believe it's above 80%. And there, there was some COVID aberration, you know, where a lot of students took a year off. And so Harvard's yield went down. But, but typically, Harvard's yield is above 80%. And uh, for schools like, um, you know, like Tulane, it's more like 20%. And right. so the uh, so the the top schools are very serious about protecting their yield, which is why they also will think carefully about which top students to admit, with the idea in mind that you know like they're going to save their spaces for kids who are likely to um, to get in. We I, I actually had a student who was admitted to MIT, but rejected from get this the University of Washington. And uh, it's pretty clear. It's not that she was unqualified to attend the University of Washington, right? She was admitted to MIT. Um, but it was pretty clear that the University of Washington took one look at her application and said, this kid is never going to come here uh, because the, she's going to have better offers elsewhere. Uh, and so, and, and this happens, this happens a lot, uh, in college admissions season, uh, as well. It's, it's stuff that's handled through wait lists and so forth. Yeah. And that's, that's so, I mean, it's a little disappointing in, in my mind because it's like, you know, the, like to say, oh, this student is too good, so they won't come here. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like you should have a little more self-confidence in that in, in, in college, but I also, you know, they're being realistic and, at the end of the day, the other part of it is they're just trying to get the best stat, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a right. quote, which I, I use in another episode too, but I'll just drag it out again for this one, which is um, if you are to, if a measure becomes a goal, it is no longer a good measure. Right. Okay. And that's kind of what's happened to a lot of the things that the U S news and reports and college list is that like, well, they were clear that, you know, measuring acceptance rate was something that was important to the, your ranking. Mm -hmm. So now all these colleges are like, we're test optional so that lots of people apply and their acceptance rate goes down, mm -hmm. right? right? Same right. with this, right? It's like, they, oh, well, you know, yield rate is important. And that makes, you know, US, US News, they're just trying to do the best of what they have. And that makes sense, right? Like, if 80% of people who get admitted to a place go there, it's probably very desirable. Mm -hmm. um, but now that means people are gaming that stat as well. So it's, right. an, it's kind of a cat and mouse with the Yeah, and, and the I, I, I believe that U.S. News is no, has no longer made um, acceptance rate a part of their metric precisely for that reason. You know, but, oh, but good. It, they but changed it. Was, it. They changed it, right. But you, you are right in that it was a part of their metric. And that did lead to schools adopting policies that artificially um, – Put their acceptance rate down in order to um, in order to raise their ranking in U.S. News and World Report. So, um, yeah. so yeah. So then they figured out. But yeah. Th anyway, there's other story. There is a recent scandal about another college that um, was trying to game its uh, stats with U.S. News and World Report. But that's probably a matter for another time. Yeah, for sure. So then, just to kind of wrap this conversation on how to how to get into an Ivy League school as a STEM student. Mm -hmm. It really sounds like, you know, number one, your application must be at least two pronged when it comes to what your core things are that you're talking about, whether, you know, it's music or volunteering or whatever else. Um, number two is, you know, be interesting, be creative, be fun, show that you care about people, mm -hmm. show that you create yes. and not just grind. Um, 
and then you know it's going to be a little bit of a different game if you're applying from an area that sends lots of students to these schools versus where you're not mm-hmm. um is there anything else that you would be thinking about if you're applying to ivy league schools as a stem student uh those are the generally speaking those are the main things right okay uh, great. and then yeah i would say i would say that co- that covers it pretty well great All right. Well, thanks very much, Nat. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Nat Crawford from Improve Your English. And Achievable has an an ACT course that uses technology to help you get your best score. You can get a free trial at achievable.me and use the code podcast to get 10% off if you like it.